0: Hi there, you're through to the Whites Privilege Club. How can I assist you today?
1: Oh, hi there. Um, yeah, I was just wondering if you could help me. See, I've just moved into my house and the previous tenant has left some of their mail and their car to your club was left here as well. Um, is there any way that you could possibly forward their details so I could send it on? And could you also take my address off their account?
0: Okay, let me get this resolved for you. Unfortunately, we can't give out any information due to data protection, but I can indeed take the address off their account and contact them myself for their new address.
1: Okay. um, So, what am I meant to do with their card?
0: You can go ahead and dispose of it. Um, We'll issue a new card to them within three to five working days of receiving their new address.
1: Oh, okay, fab.
0: Can I take the customer's name on the letter?
1: Yeah, sure. It's Mister Neil Riggers.
0: Fantastic. And the address on the letter.
1: Yeah, it's 2204 Lawrence Street.
0: Thank you for that. Ah, I found Mr Rigger's account, so I'll contact him this afternoon. And I've deleted your address from his account, so you won't be receiving any more letters from us. Is there anything else I can help you with today?
1: Um, yeah, actually, um, what exactly is this white privilege club?
0: A very elite club that is quite hard to describe and define. It does come with an exclusive package that includes offers like discounts at Turtle Bay, KFC, and many more. Okay, right. Access to the best lawyers and solicitors around.
1: And how does one gain access to this elite club? Like entry criteria?
0: Well, if you'd like to start an application, then I can divulge further information during that process. Um, yeah, okay, sure. I'm just going to pop you on hold whilst I load the application on my end, if that's okay? Yeah, sure. Hi there, fantastic. So before I begin, I just have to let you know that this phone call is now being recorded for quality purposes and the purpose of your own protection. Are you happy to proceed?
1: Um, Yeah, that's fine.
0: Brilliant. Now, if accepted, I will send your card and terms and conditions in the post. Have you read or watched Fight Club?
1: Yeah, of course. Brilliant film.
0: Well, much like the film, the first and most fundamental rule of White Privilege Club is...
1: Uh, That we don't talk about White Privilege Club.
0: Amazing. We'll have you a member in no time. Now, what's your full name, please?
1: Um, It's Mr. Connor Allen.
0: And for the purposes of the application, what is your nationality?
1: Oh, well, um, I'm half British and half Jamaican.
0: I'm just going to place you on hold again. Oh, um, okay.
2: Hi there, you're through to customer support. My colleague said you'd like to apply for membership.
1: Uh, Yeah, correct.
2: And you do know the club is in the name, so to speak. Uh Huh? It's the White Privilege Club.
1: Yeah, I don't see an issue. OK, then. Uh, out of curiosity, how much is membership to this club?
2: Membership to the White Privilege Club is an annual fee of £2,000. It comes with many perks and benefits that can be used all year round, including university references to top universities around the country and a free pair of Yeezys with every successful sign-up.
1: Oh, OK, fab. Um, do you do monthly payments?
2: At this current time, we only do the annual plan.
1: So do you do half memberships then?
2: Half memberships?
1: Like six months? You know, like if so, can I spread that six months over sporadic months? Or does it have to be like fixed months, like the first six months or the last six months of a year?
2: I'm sorry. Like I said, we currently only do the annual one-year membership.
1: So I can't just pay a thousand and
2: no. The annual fee is two thousand pounds. You can't just pay one thousand pounds.
1: I'm only half white, so if I wanted to join the club, am I entitled to half membership?
2: Can you hold for a second whilst I transfer you to someone who can answer that question?
0: Yep. K that you got the phone, you every time my car is going me. Hi there, you've been transferred to complaints. How can I assist you today?
1: What? No complaining i'm just inquiring as to whether you do six month memberships or not
0: okay let me just log this as the company is always looking for ways to evolve and improve your feedback is greatly appreciated
1: so will this evolution and improvement get me access to six month membership like you said it's called the white privilege club so
0: can i ask you to calm down
1: i'm perfectly calm
0: you have to understand we've never been asked that before okay fine so can you go and ask someone unfortunately not (laughs) right why not You're at the highest possible level of communications and support.
1: It's not really support when you can't answer a simple question, is it?
0: Your passive-aggressive tone is really not helping.
1: (laughs) Look, it's just a simple question. Can I have a six-month membership or not?
0: Here at White Privilege Club, we do not tolerate abuse towards our staff. What? Your aggressive tone will not be tolerated. I'm asking a simple question. If you'd like to forward your complaint via email to the complaints team, we will lodge a formal investigation.
1: I'm not complaining. I'm just asking. Well, you're getting extremely angry. I'm not angry, trust me. I'm just getting passionate because you won't answer a simple question. Keep saying I'm passive aggressive. Are you having a laugh?
0: No, sir. That's how it's coming across.
1: Okay. Well, thanks anyway for all your insightful help today.
0: Is there anything else I can assist you with today?
1: Yeah, what's the email address after email?
0: One moment. Do you have a pen ready? Yep. It's info... At whiteprivilege.org.
1: Yeah, of course it is.
0: Is there anything else?
2: No. You've been great.
0: Well, thank you for calling weight.
2: <sighs> the world record has been broken for the most popular hashtag on social media. Hashtag all lives matter has been trending for two weeks solid now and has surpassed two billion interactions on socials. <laughs> breaking news from today onwards for mixed-race people in the uk black history month is to finish on the 16th of october more information to follow as the story develops
3: what the fuck the fifth episode of Critically Speaking Season 2. My name is Jafar Iqbal and once again I'll be your host for yet another lively and urgent discussion about systemic racism and white privilege in the Welsh art scene. Now what you heard at the top of the episode was White Privilege by the Newport-born artist Connor Allen. Connor has worked in Wales and across the UK as an actor and a writer. He's currently a member of the National Youth Theatre of Great Britain and is also on the BBC Welsh Voices and Welsh Royal Court Writers Groups. He's a phenomenally talented artist, and I'm sure you'll agree that it was a phenomenally good piece. Our guest on today's episode is Lorne Campbell, who became Artistic Director of National Theatre Wells in 2020. Before NTW, Lorne was Artistic Director and Joint Chief Executive of Northern Stage in Newcastle. Having started his career at the Traverse Theatre in Edinburgh, Lorne has worked as a freelance director across the UK. Our conversation began with a chat about the creative contributions, including Connor's piece in particular. Let's get to it then. This is episode five of the Critically Speaking Podcast, season two.
4: It's so interesting, isn't it, with audio pieces, particularly at the moment, trying to figure out what the terms of engagement are. Because so many people are experimenting and bringing new things into the form and, and all that. So with each of them, I had to go back and listen to them again. On the file you sent, they were all one thing. So you sort of got to the end and you were a bit like that. Oh, God, right, okay. You realize you're still half thinking about the one before while you're listening to the next one. But yeah, I thought, yeah, good, interesting, complex work.
3: Was there one that particularly sort of for you, that you were just like, oh, okay, this really speaks
4: to me, personally or professionally? Or... I think all of them in different ways. You know, they're all offering a different access to experience. They all felt personal. I mean, I think, you know, I think all of these things, they're things you're going to connect to in different ways on different dates. And again, particularly that more poetic register, it's where where are you in that moment? What are you connecting to? I'm working with Connor on a couple of things uh, at the moment, so it's also really nice when you hear something different from somebody who you're in the process of working with, and you're like that, ah oh, that's also in your locker. Interesting, interesting. Of course it's clever, and and of course it's funny. And you get the story of it, you get the dynamic. But then there was something in the subtext of a tiredness and a resignation, and like, oh, here's this shit again, that wasn't heavily stated, wasn't underlined, but was just right there for you. I've been involved in so many conversations in so many ways with so many people. And that's one of the themes that has come up again and again and again and again is the different natures and experience of tiredness and just what that attrition does over time of going, OK, I'm in this conversation again. For whom am I having this conversation this time? Or which version of this conversation? Um I having? What is the nature of the conscious, the unconscious question or challenge or ignorance that I'm engaging with in this moment? And what does that mean? So there was something that I thought was deathly done within that. How
3: did you, in those conversations, manage that? So then someone comes to you and starts this conversation and you can feel that tiredness or they express that tiredness. How are you getting these almost disillusioned artists to trust in you that the conversation this time will be okay.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think that varies enormously from conversation to conversation and context to context. I mean, some of those are conversations with old friends who I've known for 30 years. Some of those are new relationships and conversations that I'm starting to have now in Wales. Some of those are conversations where you're inviting somebody into a one-on-one conversation or a group conversation or conversations where you are being invited into a conversation. And all you can do is offer your specificity to exactly the conversation that you're having in that moment, your presence and your honesty to try and offer something which is unfettered, unfiltered. Here's what I'm able to communicate in this moment. I'm here to listen. And knowing that trust is not something which can be assumed to be something that's got to be built over time and is a result of things that are actually done, not pretty things that are said.
3: When you were in these conversations with artists of colour or having these conversations off the back of BLM and things like that, what were the themes of these conversations? Let me try and perhaps to sort of
4: subgroup them a little bit. So there are a set of conversations with artists with whom the company is already engaged. So either people who are in the midst of projects or are under commission and then... While that's going on, suddenly this, suddenly is a bad word, isn't it? It's not sudden at all. It's about an absolutely present, pre-existing set of tensions being revealed or focused upon or, again, not brought to the surface, but the fact that they are surfaced, being pointed out in a forceful and an absolute way. And so then within those conversations going, let's not pretend that, these two conversations we're having are separate. There's a set of conversations there. Then, of course, there's the, I've been trying to give a lot of time and a lot of energy to meeting people. There's then a different set of conversations where you're inviting individuals or groups of individuals or people within existing paradigms, patterns, relationships to come and offer their time, their expertise, their perspectives to interrogate what is or is not the company doing, and how do you begin to advance your conversation around those things. And that obviously is a very different space. And within that, the awareness and the thought about how those conversations are formed, how those conversations are curated and held, how you try to continuously iterate and evolve an understanding of how the power dynamic within those conversations Resides.
3: In regards to the power thing, why are these artists and specifically artists of colour having these conversations with you? And obviously, I know the main reason is you're artistic director of National Theatre Wales. You should be the person. But at the same time, do you think there's a danger that by inviting artists of colour into a space with you, you're automatically creating what could potentially be an unsafe space that maybe that person does not feel comfortable speaking to somebody?
4: a white man because of previous experiences. Yeah, absolutely. The challenge within that is to open an invitation which is simultaneously honest in its agenda of going, here are things that we are trying to understand and advance. We're asking for help within that, but also we absolutely respect the right that this is work that we need to do and that it's not going tell us what to do. It's not going, here's your responsibility to tell us how to fix these things. It's not that, it's about going, how are we going to create equitable collegiate spaces to interrogate, to explore ideas, practice, impacts, all of those spaces. And I think that then becomes exactly that question about power, about how do you establish ways of having that conversation that aren't at the behest or in the control of the institution, whatever that might be. Hypothetically, let's say I came
3: to you, person of colour, emerging artist, and I say to you, I don't want to speak to you because you are a white man and this X thing has happened to me in the past. I don't trust white men in power in Wales. Who would I then be in a space with? Is there something in place for that?
4: Not as a formal structure, no. But I think what there are, the, are the the ways which are within the website or within presence of staff within other spaces to go, okay, here's a project, an idea you want to have. with, And then from there, you sort of have three or four options. One is about spending time talking with members of the staff team who are of color and have skill and capacity and experience and status within the company to be able to begin that creative dialogue. If you're talking about things which are more systematic or related to policy or constitution, then there's always the possibility of opening up a conversation directly with trustees. And again, that could be trustees who are of color as well. Or there could be a way of talking either through the mechanic of team, where you have a wide range of highly engaged stakeholders in the company with whom we do all kinds of complex work to make sure that they are empowered and enabled to represent the company and to have a meaningful understanding of what we're doing and how and why and of course you know within team and within team panel there's a huge diversity and range of context and experience or there's an avenue which is about well can we through one of the artists who we're engaged with whose practice or Lived experience or context might be able to hold the first part of that conversation in a more effective way. Again, be a representative for the company in that way in order to begin that engagement and to begin that journey of dialogue, of trust building, of understanding. And from there to be able to then explore what are we starting to travel towards. And within what you're asking, there's a whole load of interesting questions. And one of the things it points at, which we're right in the middle of wrestling with as a company is about how do we become not only more porous, but differently porous? How do we create processes of access that enable and empower people to be in dialogue with the company in the very short term, but also in the very long term? One of the things that made me excited to apply for this role, excited to come and work with NTW is that that sense of a different type of power dynamic in relation to audience, in relation to artists is already baked into the DNA of the organization in the way creative development has grown and been through a number of iterations. And I think it's at a point where it needs another evolutionary jump at the moment. There's a really rich history of practice around there. And then obviously again with team as a fundamental structure where from forward to hyper-local delivery, you've got a structure running through the company which is about representation of community, whatever that might mean around Wales. Now, of course, with all of those things, there's more to be done. It's process. It's not fixed point. It's going, how do we do this thing and then iterate and do better and do better and do better. And so, yeah, coming into that conversation, it feels like we're at a really interesting place in the midst of all of the massive intersectional change that's going on around us to ask really bold and radical questions about what next for all of those programs and what does that mean for, I think, to to go back to what I said at the start, how are we not only more porous, but how are we differently porous? And how do you understand and build a company that conceives of itself as in a constant process of iteration rather than a fixed thing that needs to turn and change slowly in order to have different types of conversation you know because of the absence of a building you have this huge possibility of fluidity that offers with it massive challenges and huge opportunities regularity and pattern and consistency is incredibly useful And a building offers you all of those things. The way audiences engage with you, the types of work you produce, when you produce it, how you communicate with audiences around that work. Those are all very useful things, but within them, it's very easy to start to calcify and get fixed. With a fluidity without a building, the challenge is you constantly have to figure out what you're doing from first principles, figure out how to communicate that with artists, with audiences, with communities, and then deliver that thing and then figure out what sort of legacy you're holding on the other side of that.
3: I think legacy is a really interesting word, because I think one thing that National Fairwells gets criticized for is not leaving a legacy sometimes in communities that they go to. I've heard it a lot in the past, work that NTW has done with Butte Town in Cardiff, for example. There have been some really good productions that have happened that have been within that environment, within that community and then it's not been followed up on, or it's not followed up on until the next time there's a project. And those are people who perhaps were promised things, or perhaps were given the impression that things would get better. And again, it goes back to the idea of being tired, and of people not wanting to engage anymore, because they don't trust the organisations anymore. And you mentioned about radical questions being asked. I mean, is that part of your radical thinking going forward about how it's going to happen? Like, how do you address that? I mean, that's probably... Priority number one, surely, in your role.
4: The question of legacy is a huge and really difficult one. The baked in challenge with the company as I see it is this we're a national company, we're peripatetic, we have a huge responsibility to be working with and for communities, artists, partners, agencies across the country. We absolutely have nowhere, like nowhere near, we don't have a fraction of the capacity or the finance to work with the whole country at once or to deliver a project in one place and then hold a sustained legacy with those communities and partners while working in lots of other places at the same time. What that doesn't mean is that you can't find a way for legacy to be both impactful and sustained. The way I understand it and the way we're trying to think about it internally is that the way legacy works is in the deep partnership with individuals and organizations, be those formal or loose, that you work with within community. So if we're coming into a context, what we don't want to be doing and what we shouldn't be doing is suddenly dropping in as if from space and going, good news, we are here, this thing's going to happen, it's going to begin there, it's going to close there, and then we go away.
3: But you've already done that as an NTW. Obviously, I don't appreciate you went there, but that has already
4: happened. So for so now, what I'm, do I'm, you do? I'm, I'm not trying to be evasive, but I can't speak to that because I can neither defend it nor attack it because I, I, I genuinely don't know the nuance. But do
3: you appreciate that you inherit the... When communities and artists come to you, they're not necessarily going to say, well, now this is Long Campbell's NDW. They're just going to say, this is NTW. So even though you can't speak on it, there is still a sense of... I don't know if responsibility is the right
4: word, but I guess you're aware that this has already happened. What I can't do and what I don't really want to get into is the answer which is, well, yes and no. Which is, yes, there are models where the company has been accused of that and from my understanding of it, in that there's a little bit of yes and there's a little bit of no because I haven't experienced it and so it's not a useful conversation. What I can try and speak to is how I'm trying to understand it and the conversations we're having internally about how we try and understand it, which is about a path of engagement with communities and artists, which is a series of upward curves. So you're beginning with... Gradual, careful relationship building. As you come to understand context, that's accelerating into project. While you're working through project, you're upskilling partners that you're working with. You're sharing the social and intellectual and cultural capital of networks, skills development, financial, creative, human resource. That's building to a crescendo, which is a delivery point of a project you're continuing a relationship with those individuals and agencies on the back of that, which leaves them in a place to be better resourced in all sorts of ways to continue to do the work that they want to be doing within their, whatever it is, their individual agency, their corporate, their community position, that whatever it is. And you are then looking towards what's the next space And whether that's something which begins straight away or whether that's something that begins two, three, four, five years down the line and trying to communicate on the way in the nature of the offer. Disappointment and frustration and ill feeling comes from a space where entities have misunderstood each other. When you think you're going to get A and of course you're going to get B. Or you think you're going to get A and then you end up with absolutely nothing and you're what on earth happened. How do you repair that? You repair it by doing what you do now as carefully and as skillfully and as transparently and as well as you can. It's a process of iteration and learning. You know, you, you build your models where you make mistakes, you own them, and you talk openly and transparently with the people who you've made mistakes with <laughs> about what those are and how those are, and then you begin the next process of engagement going forward.
2: It's really interesting, and I kind of wanted to add something because I understand that it's a very, very long process. I'm interested in how, if people are coming to you and you're having those conversations, how would you avoid this kind of white savior complex? Because harping back to the power dynamic, if an artist comes to you, then ultimately you kind of hold the power. So even though it is like a mutual thing, it's still this underlying white savior complex, where even though you're doing good, that person couldn't do that for themselves? That's
4: a really, really, really good question and a really challenging one. For me, the answer is about changing the way decisions are made. That a theatre company is not about an artistic director going, I think we're going to do that and that and I've had this idea and I've spoken to that person and here is the programme of work. The artistic director's job, as I perceive it, is to bring together a genuinely diverse group of individuals and partners and companies to with them talk and evolve and iterate what the strategic goals of the organization are and then to use all of those networks, to use all of those individual bits of lived experience to draw together and co-create the ideas that are going to form that program of work. And that is partly about who is working full-time from the company and how do you transform the dynamics so that the company genuinely represents the society that it is part of. Partly it is about how do you provide really meaningful agency over the company and its work For people who don't work directly for the company, who might be freelancers, who might work for other companies, might be within communities who have been overlooked and ignored by culture generally, theater specifically, NDW even more specifically over periods of time, and completely fundamentally shift that power dynamic. So that rather than the leader of any company or any structure being this pyramid that drops down from the top and you've got a chief executive and artistic director sitting at the pinnacle of that, making decisions, being the decider, whatever that is. You're thinking about a network and nodes within that network and you're trying to understand what is agency within that. But but you are the decider though, aren't you? Does the buck still not stop with you though? Um, I bear responsibility. That doesn't have to be the same thing as being the decider. So I am accountable for decisions that are made. That doesn't mean I need to impose my will upon those decisions. And absolutely acknowledging that that thing, that model that I'm talking about, that's something we are in the process of trying to build. That's not where we are today. whiteness to you define whiteness wow um, i think the fact that that's such an unbelievably hard question to answer is a very good definition of whiteness that whiteness is not having to define yourself in relation to the melanin in your skin whiteness is a space of being What do you mean, define my whiteness? I'm an individual. I am the product of a rich cultural heritage. My education, my context, my life experiences, my friendships, my relationships, my skills, I am the product of all of that. And the melanin or otherwise in my skin is completely irrelevant to that. That's whiteness. Have you ever challenged that? I was very fortunate in the early part of my career when I had no idea what I was doing in any way, shape or form to get a job at the Traverse in Edinburgh. When I left, I had this sudden and terrifying realisation that I didn't have the faintest idea what I wanted to be as a director. So with a group of friends and collaborators and colleagues, we set up this company, Grayscale. The idea was to look differently about how we could make work. So that for me was the first bit of a journey, The next very big bit of that journey was then when I was at Northern Stage as artistic director there, we wanted to challenge two really fundamental things. One was about how we worked with young people and one was about how we worked with communities who were just fundamentally not engaged with the theatre at all. So in terms of challenging the notion of whiteness, however you choose to define that, that's how I understand that begins that it's not about my idea of how you challenge whiteness it's about beginning meaningful long-term relationships that are thinking simultaneously about the structure and the form of the organization but also the outcome and the process of the work which as soon as you're talking about those two things you're also de facto in a conversation about audiences and the experiences of audiences and communities now all of that is hugely complicated by the thing you talked about previously about being a national company. My hypothesis, this is my working hypothesis, and this is you know not just me, but through conversation with everybody who works within our collaboration team and people who work within team, people who work within our producing team, that the way to do this is about deep partnership with organizations and individuals within their communities so that the legacy you leave is embodied in those individuals and those organisations, rather than something which is handed down from on high. And then as soon as that input is gone, the change itself disappears.
3: Do you think there's more trust placed in you because you are a white person in the arts? Do you think you'll get more opportunity and more time and more
4: licence because you are a white man? In some ways, absolutely yes. It's a very difficult question to answer in the general rather than in the specific. Do I think that being a white man makes either getting my job or some of the parts of my job, you know, talking to trust and foundations with a predominantly white board or things like that, do I think it makes that easier? Absolutely. Do I think it presents some different barriers in terms of things you've been talking about, of building trust, of doing all of that? I don't know. It is fundamentally specific. That doesn't make white privilege not an institutional, baked-in issue that we're trying to address, we in the sense of society, (laughs) are trying to to address in all sorts of ways.
3: How much did you know about the makeup of Wales? How much did you know about what was happening in Wales at the point that you arrived in terms of not even just what was happening at National Theatre Wales, but just a general makeup of the country in regards to the arts. Like, you know, I'm talking to six arts leaders for this podcast. They are all white. A lot of the other leaders of the other arts organizations are all white. What did you know coming in? I knew quite a lot.
4: I knew a huge amount less than I know now. <laughs> you know, I have some very good friends and colleagues who have worked in Wales or are originally from Wales and have spent their whole careers in Wales. So when I started thinking... About applying for the job, you go through a long process before you press the button on going, actually, yeah, I am going to open myself up to that fundamental life change. So there was a the long process of talking to people and getting a sense of what the picture was. And of course, being very aware of what I was walking into in terms of the context of the company and the huge trauma and difficulty that had been through in the previous period talking to Cully about that experience and what it was, talking to trustees, talking to other stakeholders. You can do all the due diligence you want in the world is when you actually get into the specificity of the thing and you try. You start trying to live it, that you begin, begin, begin to understand the nuance of it. All you can do is do the thing that you would do in that circumstance and to try and find your best way through it, to try and be true to your values, your aspirations your practice your way of doing it and to try through that to move the things forward in a positive way
3: what were the conversations you were having with people about the idea that you were replacing cully and what that meant for wales or even just what you felt yourself because when cully resigned and the job application came out i was one of a lot of people who were like it has to be a woman, or it has to be a person of colour, or it has to be a Welsh person. Um, obviously you are none of those things. You are a white Scottish man, but you aware of what the repercussions of what your appointment might be if you got the job.
4: Yeah. And again, like, talked very openly with the board about that during the interview process. Is that space? You, you can take responsibility for things you're responsible for, you can't take responsibility for things that you aren't. I can't pretend to be anything other than I am. I can't pretend to be any other experience or context or confluence of historical forces than I am. What I can take responsibility for is what I try and do and how I try and do it. And that just is what it is.
3: No, no, I agree agree with that completely. And obviously your job, first of all, is to convince the interview panel and the board and whoever else it is that you are right for the job and obviously that happened. But you also do, I mean, there are divisions within Wales that still exists. And your job is to convince them that this trauma that you talk about can be healed. But there is a significant population in Wales who do believe what happened with Cully was wrong. And how NTW handled it was wrong. And how other artists handled it was wrong. And yes, you can't take responsibility for what happened before, but
4: <laughs> what are you gonna do about it? There are two things. One is about the doing and that only exists as it is being done and once it's being done. So, you know, we're in the process of the moment about what are the structures and the forms of the company? What is the work we're commissioning and trying to produce and how and with whom and for whom and by whom? Who are the audiences that we're in conversation with and how do we support questions of artist development? All of that stuff... The proof of the pudding is in the eating and I can wax lyrical and I can talk pretty and I can make grand promises and it doesn't mean a fucking thing unless it actually exists in action. So that's one thing. The other thing is about talking while we are trying to do about what we are trying to do. And that kind of radical transparency about me as a representative of the organization, about the rest of the organization, about those partners, about everything I've talked about, about that really functional porousness of the company. Fundamentally, I think it's about doing, but it's also about taking time and effort to show you're working and to communicate your short, your medium, your long-term objectives while you're doing that. That's a really substantial bit of work to do that thing. It takes different thinking. It takes... Takes time, takes people, takes resource, takes energy, and it's making sure you do that thing. And I think for a long time, companies haven't been doing that bit as well as they could and as they can. I think generally the trend is towards doing it better, and the ways in which we've evolved our understanding of the you know the relationship between audience development and artist development, the way we've understood differently about how. Engagement with a community is not an end product, it is a beginning point. All of those questions are part and parcel of that. But fundamentally, it comes down to those two things. It is action and it is transparency and honesty and rigor about how you're communicating not only what that action is, but what that action is supposed to be for.
3: Do you think NTW is being radically transparent right now at the moment? I felt like NTW maybe wasn't as present in the aftermath of the BLM explosion, so to speak. Isn't that the transparency in letting everyone know what you are doing in terms of how you're responding
4: to these things like BLM? Yeah, I mean, I think like there will be various things we're putting out in between now and Christmas, which are about... Policy and programme of work and the response to Black Lives Matter, the response to we shall not be removed, the response to the fundamental crisis that's going on for young people within Wales. We're in the process of getting ready to be talking publicly around all of that. As a company, we've been working incredibly hard over the last Six months. First of all through the huge volume of delivery that happened through network and all of that digital commissioning and producing and then the level of contribution that has gone into lobbying government both within Wales and towards Westminster to fundraising to be able to do things like time equals money to the time and the support that's gone into a huge range of artists that we're engaged with while doing internal cultural stuff, while doing crisis management while working with a whole range of companies and artists within their crisis management all of that has been going on while also trying to figure out how we deliver a program of work next year while we don't know anything (laughs) you know we don't we don't know when we're going to be able to rehearse don't know when we're going to be able to invite audience into spaces so that's the everything that's going on and the view that we took as a company as a leadership as a staff team as in conversation with the board is best to do the work and be able to go okay here's what we're doing and here's what it means, then a statement that doesn't have substance to it. Because unless it's absolutely embodied by action that you can then move into, that's moot. At the same time, you know, there are lots of individual things we've been doing with individual artists, with companies, with all of that. And to be talking about that in relation to BLM feels like a really uncomfortable kind of virtue signaling in this moment. It feels like, oh, look, we, oh, we did this thing. Oh, look, oh, we did this thing. oh It's like that that feels really uncomfortable to me. So we haven't engaged in doing that. It's the process of going, here's what we intend to do. Here are the different bits of this fit together. Here's how we invite conversation and scrutiny around that. Here's what we hope to achieve with it. Here are our timelines and our journeys towards that. Why do you think all of the arts leaders in Wales are white? it's a a lot of different factors all playing together. It's historical, it's social, it's economic, it's unconscious bias, it's conscious bias. It's education, it's class, it's an idea of who can and should be leading organizations. And then within that, every one of those was a specific decision that happened within a whole range of contexts from what is the field in front of you to what is the choice that you're making. So I don't think the, I don't know enough because I haven't been here long enough. My perception, which may well be utterly wrong, is I don't understand anything yet that makes the forces for why that is any different to why the majority of arts leaders in the UK are white.
3: Have you come across artists, and this is not have you asked of colour, but People who don't look like you, who you go, that person could lead an organisation
4: here in Wales or somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I've spoken with a number of people of colour who do lead organisations, albeit them smaller organisations, and I've certainly come across individuals within the many task forces that we have all been working towards over the last months or through the apparatus of what next, where like, here is a leader incarnate who there is no reason that they wouldn't be at the front of an organization. In the same way that when you're beginning that conversation with an artist about where do they want to go over time, I think with, with leaders, it's also a question about how do they lead what we can't and shouldn't be trying to create as a circumstance where we are supporting a load of leaders of color to lead organizations in the way that white people have led organizations for a very long time it has to be about the idiosyncrasy of individuals and experiences and how organizations and shapes of organizations change around and with their leaders as people develop towards them do
3: you think that might have contributed to what happened with colleague that- The organisation didn't change around her, maybe?
4: I don't know. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people, including Cully, about that experience, but I'd be very hesitant to draw any conclusions about it because I wasn't here and I didn't live it.
3: The idea of coming across leaders and there doesn't seem to be enough in place to empower artists to move to the next level. As a national company,
4: do you think you have a responsibility to play a part in empowering them? Yeah, Absolutely. There's bits within NTW where we're looking at some fundamental change within our structures in order to make space for developing leaders. And those have to be projects or roles or possibilities that have real agency and real trajectory within them. That's urgent and complex work, and you make it try and move as fast as you possibly can. I don't think it's a glass ceiling. I think it's lots and lots and lots of glass ceilings that are very close to each other. So there are some brilliant, remarkable individuals who have been on a 10-year journey with team and are already leading or are ready for the next steps, the next steps, the next steps. That team relationship has smashed through glass ceiling after glass ceiling after glass ceiling. That doesn't mean that those strata don't keep going up as you go further. And those are all of the intersections of race, class, gender, sexuality, disability, you know, that whole intersection of protective characteristic in a whole load of ways. So yeah, it's one where we need to be shared, we need to be collective, we need to be impatient, we need to be rigorous, we need to continually open ourselves up to be held to account on not only what are we doing, but how are we doing it and how do we do it faster and how do we do it in a more impactful way. Who is holding you to account and how are you going to quantify that Partly it's about your conversation with your funders, about what are the ways in which you are holding yourself to account and how do you understand the relationships with not just the spirit of what is within any funding agreement and not doing the bare minimum in relation to those things, but advancing it and as national institutions or as major companies pushing your big funders to go further. And whether that's in a relationship with an Arts Council Wales or NTW's been very fortunate to have a long and rich relationship with Paul Hamlin, who are huge innovators in this area. So you hold yourself accountable by adding extra energy into the conversation with them about how you're not only deploying those funds, but how you're disseminating learning, how you're identifying barriers or blockages or missing bits of infrastructure and working through all of that work. There's a bit of making yourself available for conversation, be that something like this or making sure that you are present in rooms like What Next or Privilege Cafe or other places to be asked of, but also to be listening and hearing and bearing that thought. In the way you design programs within those programs, making sure that a space for reflection, for iteration, for Meaningful change is designed into those from the very beginning of processes. So not just kind of like, oh, we've designed this thing. Now let's start pumping through. But how does it continue to grow and change? And there are lots of things in this that I do not have the answers to. But I as an individual and we as a company are very engaged in going, how do we talk better about how we're trying to do the thing that we're trying to do while we're doing it? And how do we make sure that we have the time and the energy and resource to do that? while also having all the time and energy of resource to be doing the things at the same time. Do you think systemic racism
3: can be weeded out? Can we get to a place where people are more transparent and more radical in their thinking and there is more equity? As it stands right now, do you think Wales has the capacity to do that?
4: Yes, I do. Where does that optimism come from? It comes from the lived experience of seeing some things get progressively better and more equitable over time, which isn't to also acknowledge that particularly over the last six years, eight years, there has been a sustained and coordinated attack on progress that has been made um, over the last 30 years in terms of race understanding, actually. And not to say, you know, it's not like, oh, the late 90s were a golden time. In 2000, there was no racism. Not, it's not saying that in, in any means. But I think the politics of fear, the very deliberate seeding of division, the incredibly poisonous rhetoric of Brexit, the cancerous phenomenon of Trump, the learning of those tricks and those games and how those have been adopted within... British politics have had a hugely negative effect on the telling of the national story. Within that, there are more high-profile, powerful artists of colour now than there were 10 years ago. Within that, the emerging generations are, I won't go as far as exponentially, but considerably more diverse across a whole measure of diversities than they were when I was beginning my career 25 years ago. All of that signals progress. That doesn't mean we aren't in the white heat of a battle. The conversation we are having now, in this moment between the three of us, the conversation which is being had within our industry is based on a fundamental recognition and assumption that it is our responsibility to address this and do something about it. That, for me, is a huge source of optimism. It's easy to be optimistic on the day when the sun is shining and everything going your way. It's more important to be optimistic when you're like, right, these are some big walls we're going to knock down, but they're just walls. So we can celebrate it and we can do it. Season 2 of
3: the Critically Speaking Podcast was the joint effort of many talented and hard-working people, and they all deserve to be praised. So, I'd like to thank Dr. Adiola Davis, Aki Gurung, Alice Eklund, Connor Allen, Dure Shehwar, Edith, Fez Mia, Jafrin Khan, Jasmine Grace O'Kay, Mali Ann Reese, Radha Patel, Sadia Pineda Hamid, Selena Kaimau and Shane Nichols. I'd like to thank my guest, for giving us their time and of course I'd like to thank Arts Council Wells for funding the project now you can find us on Facebook Twitter and Instagram by searching for Critically Speaking and please if you liked what you heard leave us a 5 star review on Apple Podcasts but that's all for now until next time thank you Diach and goodbye